Hello, everybody, and welcome to TechLore. I am Henry, and today I am bringing along John Osbay from Crypti. Um, for those who don't know, Crypti is a an private note-taking solution. It also has end-to-end -end encryption. They also have photos as well. And it's something that I recently migrated to myself, and it's actually one of the reasons for having this interview. So some context, we made a private note-taking video um, several months ago, and it covered different private note-taking solutions. And what people don't know is that video was scripted and pretty much led by our editor, who is actually the person who cares about note-taking apps. I am notoriously a Signal Note-to-Self user. Um, I just use Signal Note-to-Self for literally everything, and I have been very... Uh, firm against note-taking apps, because I like to keep everything as minimal as possible. But I realized I kind of needed a more robust solution, and then I really looked through all the options, and I decided to go with Crypti. When I started using Crypti, I had some questions and things I was like, okay, like, what's going on? And so I reached out to John, because I already had John as a contact, and uh, we started talking, and there was a lot of interesting things I was learning about Crypti that I think actually applies to a lot of the privacy world as well. There's a lot of things that people don't think about who, um, when you're using open source tools and privacy and security-oriented tools, you don't think about these things. And I think John would add a lot of context to Crypti, but also just a lot of things in general, especially for progressive web apps. So I think this is going to be an interesting discussion. It's going to be very open-ended, and I think you're all going to enjoy this a lot. So welcome, John. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And I've been uh, following your videos for a while now, so this is especially amazing for me. And uh, for those of you who are watching, if I'm looking awkwardly at that side, that's where the monitor is, that's where the camera is. So I'm going to try to be as little awkward as possible, but hey, COVID times. Um, so uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's a great pleasure. And uh, like Henry mentioned, we've been talking a little bit back and forth about some of the things that uh, we've been working on at Crypti and some of the issues that we face at Crypti. So uh, we realized, hey, there's some really interesting potential and some interesting problems that we face every now and then. And so we figured perhaps it might be actually just worth uh, making a cute video and uh, talking through some of these things. Crypti is only a web app. So all you can use this is inside your browser. That um, is correct. Yeah. So do you mind explaining why uh, you made that decision? Um, yeah, of course. So basically there are a, a few things. We, uh, the most important one being, we really don't want to rely on app stores. Like this is this is huge, and we actually have this on our download page as well. We wrote all the specific reasons why we're not big fans of app stores, etc. Um, uh, to begin with, we don't like monopolies. It's just ridiculous that app stores have these great monopolies that we can't really escape nowadays. Like either on the Apple side or on the Google side, and they have this unfair. Uh, rule system, so to speak, that just basically says like, hey, well, Apple has to take 30% of your money no matter what. And let's just set aside the fact that we're a small company trying to go against multi-trillion dollar companies and they want to take 30 more percent off of it. Or let's just set aside the fact that if we're selling our app in the App Store, let's say in Google Play Store, we would be paying 30% to Google, which is a company we are trying to build alternatives to. Uh, like we would be feeding them in some way. It's just ideologically really weird when you think about it that way. Um, there's also other issues, like app stores can and often do censor apps. A good example of this is Apple removed Quartz News' app uh, after their coverage of Hong Kong in uh, China, after, uh, I believe, like Chinese government's request at the time. Uh, or a more recent example from this week, actually, is like Russia is now as far as I've been hearing, slowly clamping down on App Store itself and shutting down apps. So, okay, if, if we as a company are building tools that are hopefully enabling peace workers and activists in these difficult geopolitical regions, and our goal is to enable these people to be able to go and stand against these nation states at some point, and we want to build tools that people can use to go against these nation states, then we can't just rely on other companies in other geopolitical regions, say, for example, Apple with their App Store, to do exactly what we're willing to do. And I, like, as we can see, they probably can't. And I mean, Russia is a very recent example, and China is a relatively new example, I guess. But uh, we realize it might actually be the best option for us to simply go with web. And um, I think perhaps it's important highlighting before we go any further into this is that with Crypti, what we would like to do and what perhaps differentiates us a little more than the crowd is that for me, it's incredibly important that Crypti is a tool that you use for uh, safekeeping stuff without having to think about 
if a government or if a nation state or if a big tech company can take a look at your files. Like if your goal is to just avoid big tech, you can quite literally go to any small software startup, you're still avoiding big tech after all, right? Like that's not necessarily the best way to look at this. Um, so there are like encryptions relatively easy. Anyone can add encryption to their regular note-taking app or their re regular cloud storage app, etc. But it takes a different level of dedication to be able to offer a service that can resist censorship or that can resist nation state requests or that can resist attacks from nation states. So what we're trying to do is provide that. And that requires a different level of dedication to what we do. And that requires a different level of consideration, if that does make sense. So with this in mind, uh, some of these things are not practical. Like they're not going to be practical. It's not going to be as easy as the basic apps that you go ahead and install, etc. Um, so we know, we know it's not practical to use this daily in, in the most quick way. Like uh, signal notes are going to be definitely much faster if you send yourself a, a message, so to speak, right? So it's stuff like this. And also there's other issues like with cybersecurity and with data privacy, it's incredibly important that we are able to push updates out in mere seconds if we have to. If there's, a, if there's an issue, if we detect that there's an anomaly going on, if we detect a security problem somewhere, we need to be able to push these updates out right away. There are instances in the history where you can see, for example, that Apple's actually held back Telegram's updates. And this, this happened right before uh, the GDPR compliance was happening. Uh, Russia was asking Apple to uh, hold back or remove Telegram or something like this. So Apple held back Telegram's updates, which made them miss the GDPR deadline because they couldn't push the update out in time. So this shit happens. And this, this is a thing that, like, what if it was a critical security update? What was going to happen then? Like, or... You know, these types of things, it's not ideal. And we also have uh, deniability as a part of our threat model. We want to be able to offer crypti to those who are in difficult situations where they might need to deny that they're using crypti in the first place and have some plausible deniability. A good example of this is, say, you're in an abusive relationship and you have an abusive partner who really wants to take a look at your files or really wants to take a look at crypti. We want to be able to offer you a way out of that. We want to be able to offer you a way to defend yourself as best as you can in a very difficult situation like this. Uh, so deniability is another part. If you download something from the App Store, there's a forever history of you downloading it from there. But if it's a web app, then you can't see if someone's using crypto or not. There is simply no download log or history of something like this, basically. You also have ghost folders, and I assume that's for deniability as well. That is correct, yeah. For those of you uh, who, who are not crypto users, Ghost Folders is essentially a feature, and Ghost Albums as well, is a feature that basically allows you to hide a folder or an album, and you can only retrieve it back if you type its name exactly as it was. Otherwise, it's removed from your account, and uh, basically no one can tell if that folder is there or not. So say if you're in an abusive relationship and you have to give access to your account to your abusive uh, partner, for example, then uh, they wouldn't be able to see that you have that folder. So if you want to hide your divorce documents, by all means, go ahead. Just create a folder, create a bunch of folders that you wish to hide. You can just put them there. And um, even if you open your account, even if you give your encryption key, even if you show the account to that person, they won't be able to see that folder is there unless they type the name of the folder exactly as it is. So, um, and this comes in handy in a bunch of other different scenarios too. If you're a peace worker in a difficult geopolitical region, or if you're a reporter and your device might be seized or searched, uh, you can actually also hide these folders uh, or albums as well. Um, or if you're going on a protest and you would like to document police brutality and you would like to hide these photographs that you took documenting police brutality, for example, you can do exactly the same. Um, I'm not saying you should do this. I think you should always judge based on uh, where you are, how it fits your threat model, and whether or not if this is the right thing to do for you. But we want to provide the tool, and if, if you feel like it's something you need, it's there. If you don't need it, then it's just an extra that you don't have to use, basically. Totally. Um, so kind of the main takeaway is it's, it's cool because, and this is something that I know you alluded to earlier, but you prefer the progressive web app because it gives you pretty much complete control and autonomy over your own product, which I think is cool. I think most recently, I don't know if you heard about Bromite. Bromite, um, for those who are listening, is 
um, probably one of the most private and secure messengers you can get out there. It's it's Tor routed. Um, everything's open source as end to end encryption. It has disappearing messages. It's uh, one of the best messengers you can use for safety, and it's uh, it even works offline. It, it has like its own network. You can use it via Bluetooth. There's lots of cool things about Briar, but Briar was actually briefly removed from the Google Play Store. Um, so these things happen where. It, it, if it's purposeful or not, a lot of times it is accidental um, for the record, but these things happen even accidentally. And so like being reliant on an app store is kind of a big ask. And I mean, these types of accidents can be very costly to those who rely on apps like Crypti in very mission critical situations. So like if suddenly your app is not getting an update in a very critical moment, that's bad. So uh, we, we figured it's probably not the best idea. And I mean, also, it's worth mentioning, like we're a company, we're bootstrapped. We don't have any venture capital backing. We don't want to have any venture capital firms influence over the type of product that we're developing, because I think it's incredibly important that a product like Crypti is not uh, influenced by any anyone's money, so to speak. And so we're fully sustainable with uh, your subscriptions. And like we got really lucky, and I'm really grateful to our amazing users who have been avid supporters uh, since day one, pretty much. But there is also a cost and practicality side of this, right? So if we would like to develop an iOS app, an Android app, a Mac app, a Linux app, a Windows app, etc., like you're talking about five or six platforms, and uh, like you're based in uh, West Coast, I presume. So like a basic developer, if even if you get like a medium or senior level developer who has experience in encryption, it's like their salary is <laughs> going to be like at, at minimum $100,000 a yep. year, I'm guessing. So, okay, that means we have to hire five people just for these five platforms and you're looking at $500,000 a year just on those five developers. Okay, great. But we also have to give up 30%. <laughs> It's like, and yeah, but you rent. can't have your cake and have it both ways, you know, guys, like, it's expensive to do these types of things, and it, it, I'm really grateful and happy that we're bootstrapped, and I think this also enables us to do a lot more, because we can focus on bringing the best best experience on the web, as well, as well as we can, and support you on all the other platforms, and I think this allows us to invest our resources better into legal, and compliance, and accounting, etc., so, yeah. Um... I'm typing out a note here before I forget the question. Um, before that, though, to kind of finish up the autonomy thing, so you got the web app, so people can download and use Crypti, regardless of what's going on in the world, for the most part. As long as your servers stay open and people's phones still work, they can use you. Doesn't matter if they're uh, not more signed importantly, in. The app is installed, so the web app works even if you're offline and even if our servers go down, just to be very clear. Very cool. Um, so you mentioned you don't rely on third parties. And I think this ties into this really well because it has to do with the autonomy Correct. of the service. Yeah. What are the traditional things that other companies are reliant on that people don't know about and that you just don't do? Because I think these are things that you don't like if someone just downloads and uses Crypti, they're like, OK, this is a service. But like they don't see what's going on behind the scenes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I think a lot of the times, like when people think about startups, like this is the, the important part where like like I mentioned if your threat model just go away from big tech, you can use any small startup and they will be able to maybe keep your data away from big tech. But if your threat model is uh, making sure that even the nation state actor can't request your data or even the nation state actor can't easily have access to your data, um, then we have to consider a lot of other interesting things. Like a good example is we don't want to load any third party scripts. We don't want to load any third party libraries. We don't want to load anything uh, from a third party service. So like, an average startup, probably everyone, uses something like Zendesk for their help desk. Uh, we don't want to do that. We don't want uh, anyone to be able to see what you write, even to our help desk. Maybe you're writing to ask for help about an abusive relationship that you want to get out of and what types of tools you can use or what features of Crypti can help you. We don't want that to go out. Um, so to, to combat this, and also there's the other element, which is like, we, we can't audit Zendesk's code or we can't audit a third-party help desk system's code. So why put that script into our app if it's unreliable? Like then their security becomes our vulnerability. Uh, so we don't like that idea. So we built our own help desk system, quite literally from ground up. All our help desk runs on our own service. Uh, we don't have analytics from third-party services. We built our own so that it runs on our own platform. Uh, we don't use any third-party monitoring tools. We built our own. We don't use any third-party uh, backhand administration tools. We we built our own. So all these things come into play where once you realize these, we have to do these because we don't 
uh, want even the slightest hint of possibility for a nation state or someone else to be able to use those avenues, subpoena this third party company from who knows where uh, to be able to get access to your data, basically. So that's part of partly why. And I think I think it's incredibly important for companies like us, companies like ProtonMail, companies like Signal, uh, to, to remain as independent as possible. Otherwise, it's um, yeah, it's a difficult game. Yeah, and that's very cool. And for those listening, if you if you just randomly watch a surveillance report, which is our weekly news, I guarantee you there's going to be a story that has to do with some kind of breach or some kind of um, vulnerability that was found in some kind of third-party library for a service. It's just such a common thing. It happens almost weekly. Like Big tech companies get affected by this stuff too. It's not just small companies. It's a very common problem in third-party libraries and third-party SDKs for Android and things like that are pretty big problems. And so for Crypty to be very independent is something that I personally find very valuable. And like you said, I it would be beneficial to pretty much everyone. Perhaps another aspect of this is like, even when we're coding Crypty, this, this is the craziest part I get the most criticism for. We didn't even want to use things like React or Angular, etc. Just because these are also JavaScript frameworks or libraries that that are developed by third parties that we also can't audit. So most of Crypty is either pure JavaScript or we're using something called Zepto. It's basically something like jQuery, but not, if that doesn't make sense. So ju just to give you a baseline explanation of, we don't want to rely on anything that constantly gets updates, constantly has licensing issues, constantly could change, and we wouldn't be able to audit. Anything that's third party, we use, it's version fixed. Anything that's first party we use, we keep updating as much as we can, and we patch and uh, audit these libraries as uh, frequently as we can, so we can cover our asses and bases. So I have a question. Um, and it might be an interesting question or it might not be. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But I assume there's an interesting answer to this. So if I, let's say I have 10 documents in Crypty. Let's say I open the first one on my laptop. And then I open the third one on my phone. When I open Crypty for the first time again on each of those devices, it has a recent documents panel. The recent documents is not synced. So because I open the document in laptop, it's not gonna show that as a recent document. So it's little things like this that I feel are overlooked, and I'm sure there's a very good technical explanation and a privacy security reason for it. How come things like that aren't synced? The documents are synced. If you make a change, it'll show up on the on the phone. But like the recent documents panel, when you open it for the first time, does not reflect the the thing that you open on another device. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is uh, funnily one of the the funny uh, the best and funniest criticisms we get all the time, and it's like surprisingly one of those things that a lot of people notice. So uh, there, there is a really fun technical reason, but it's not exactly related to security. It's, it's sort of a balance between usability and security. So oftentimes when we work with uh, privacy in tech, it's sort of like convenience and security are two ends of a slider, right? So something can be either super convenient and super easy, or something can be super secure and it's not going to be convenient. And... Um, what we realized is that the sync happens after you type your key, essentially, because before that, like the sync is hasn't taken place yet, right? Because we can only sync after the fact that you've typed your key, and uh, things are uh, decrypted on your device. Uh, so the the funny thing is, essentially, once you launch the app, the recent documents show you the last uh, thing it remembers from the last time you opened it, and it starts syncing. But by the time most people are there, it's already too late. It's a usability problem. So we, we can either hide that, then you won't have recent documents and it won't be confusing. We can just keep it in the sidebar and it's actually up to date in the sidebar. Or we can just have it front and center, but then it's gonna take a little while for it to update and it's gonna be confusing. So uh, we actually had it update instantly when we first released this feature. But then what happened is it became very confusing because right before you're about to click, the text just disappeared and something else appeared. And so it's one of those things where it's like, what do you do if you just want to show the last three documents or something like that? So they do kind of sync, but they're a little slower and it's a usability slash convenience slash um, security balance that we're trying to strike. But I think uh, I'd say we're doing generally okay in terms of speed and decryption and convenience, but it's one of those things that you hit the nail on the head that Often we have to make this compromise and figure the best way out, basically. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's really cool. And I actually really appreciate getting those answers because we're, we're not used to having to make sacrifices. So, and I guess this, this goes into a, a deeper question here. 
what are the common things that if someone uses um, Google Docs to take notes and they're using Google Photos, what are some common things that they're actually unknowingly compromising about the privacy and security by just using these services? Because these services, as you know, and everyone listening, are built for pure convenience. So what are the things that Google is just completely not taking care of for people's privacy and security that Crypti does take care of and is one of the reasons why Crypti offers um, a different usability experience? There are a lot of things. Um, I don't know where to begin. So I'll, I'll start with Google Photos because I think that's the easiest. And I'd say we did a lot of groundwork to cover um, the security aspects of uploading photos. And there's a lot of compromises that we made and sacrifices that we made. And I'll get the docs after that because there's, there's like docs probably has a billion things built into it. So I'm just going to leave that to last. The easy one is the photos one. Um, so basically with Google Photos, when you, or any other photo service or any other cloud storage service, um, in essence, if it's an unencrypted cloud storage service, uh, what happens is you upload your images, their servers convert these images to a format that can be displayed in your browser and your phones, et cetera, because they can see your photos. And they, if they want to run machine learning algorithms and AI algorithms to analyze these photos and pick out, let's say, the Eiffel Tower and find out that your photo was from Paris or something like that, they do all that fancy shit. And on top of that, they can actually utilize these photos to uh, sell ads to you. Um, and so that's at least for Google's case, the biggest thing that they're doing. There is no, of course, no one will be able to prove that's what they're doing without looking at their code. I mean, no one can really open this up and take a look, but they can do it and they probably do do it. So it's one of those things where um, like your EXIF data can also reveal a lot about you, right? Like if your photos have location information on them and if your photos have um, like people's names tagged on them, all those things are uploaded to these services and they can actually tell um, if you took a picture with three other people's faces in it and they have Google accounts and they can see those people's faces, they can tell who you hang out with, etc. So these are the types of things they can dive and take a look into. And funnily enough, if you look at Crypti, for example, just to give you a little bit of a contrast, everything is encrypted on your device. So basically, we have to do all the crazy shit that they do on the servers to make sure that photos are displayed correctly on your devices, this time on your device before your photos are encrypted. So Let's say you took an HEIC photo, like a high efficiency image photo on your iPhone. Um, normally, these files can't be displayed in browsers. They have to be converted to JPEG. So if we first encrypt your files, we wouldn't be able to do this conversion on our servers. So what we have to do when you upload an HEIC file from your phone is we first have to convert it to JPEG. Then we have to crop it, generate thumbnails, scale it. All the generated thumbnails have to be created on your device. Again, our servers can't do that. We also have to decode, recode to make sure the thumbnails will display correctly when you open the browser. We have to generate all these versions. Uh, and then we have to take a look at the metadata to make sure everything is safe and we just extracted everything that's unnecessary out. And if you need to sort by time, for example, those are available in the thumbnails as well. Because otherwise, all the EXIF data would be lost and you wouldn't be able to sort your photos by time because our servers won't be able to do all those things. And so it's, it's silly things like this that we don't really think about that directly affects how you use Crypti that we basically started putting into... Uh, uh, sort of like a list where like, okay, well, apparently there's 10, 15 things we have to address. So let's start where we can and slowly build up from there one by one. Um, those are the types of things we're doing. And the same goes for videos. Like one of the greatest uh, complaints that we get is everyone wants to upload videos. Um, yet this is one of the biggest problems that we have right now in uh, browsers, so to speak, is that you can't easily encrypt videos. And the, the reason is actually not about encryption anymore. It used to be, but it's not about any uh, encryption anymore. We can now do streaming encryption. The biggest problem actually is the video codecs and us being an open source company, right? So for example, uh, for security and auditability, you guys want and uh, would like to see our company's front end to be completely open source. So you can open up our code, take a look and find out how we do what we do and make sure that there are no security issues in it. Funnily enough, most of the video codecs and formats are actually proprietary licensed and not open source licensed. So here comes the crazy part. If you upload a video file that cannot be played in a browser, what should happen? Because our servers can't convert them to play them in the browsers, your videos are encrypted. That means we have to ship a video converter inside Crypti that converts your video in the memory of your browser and then encrypts it and then uploads that. And that's just, not enough just... either. 
just just to just to like pause right there for people like we work with video and any youtuber works with video they spend thousands of dollars on machines to transcode and render out videos this is no joke either so like the amount of power that you're expecting to to be utilizing for this inside a browser is pretty intense so i just wanted to it's intense go ahead and i mean not to i mean even if we could find a way to do this with WebAssembly or some you know efficient way in the browser uh and even if we could do the craziest best conversion. Let's just say all the technical stuff, uh, let's put that aside, right? Uh, a lot of us tend to think, oh, well, browsers can play MP4. My phone films MP4. Uh, fun fact, MP4 is not a codec. MP4 is a container, just like a zip file. It can have different types of codecs in it. And Henry, you deal with this all the time, so feel free to correct me with all the, the crazier details. But there are hundreds and different types of codecs that an MP4 file could be in. And the most important element that you need to think about is that when you film a video on your phone, the algorithms that uh, convert what you see from your camera to an MP4 file are optimized so that the video files take the least amount of space so that they save space on your phone's memory. But when you're streaming a video on the internet, these videos are optimized for streaming faster. And so what happens is, Oftentimes, these compressed video formats, like uh, what most phones use nowadays, the first megabyte of a video does not automatically correspond to the first second or minute of a video. It may actually be the last second of a video. So in order to be able to play that video back, you would have to download the entire two gigabyte video file first, decrypt that, then be able to play that. And that makes nonsense. If you're in the world we live, nobody's going to use that service, right? But here's the problem, then we would have to convert that video to a streamable video format where the first megabyte does indeed correspond to the first second. So we can start downloading, decrypting, playing, and keep doing the same uh, in, in a loop so you can you know, have a smooth video play experience, so to speak. So there is no easy solution to this problem. The video critics are never going to open source. We're not going to be able to ship an easy, uh, quick video conversion uh, algorithm inside Crypty. Unless browsers themselves do provide some technologies that will enable some of these features. You can, of course, upload a video file and download decrypt and play it back, but then that's just not what this is about. Like, this isn't the same experience we're talking about in Google Photos, right, or some other service. So, um, so these are some of the things that we're used to from these other services that we're not going to be able to do uh, in the privacy realm, especially in the video uh, upload, video encryption realm. Um, we're still looking into this. We have a few ways of working around this problem. We're chunking out videos. We're trying out different ways to, to tackle this problem in, from different angles, and we're making great progress. But um, at our scale, there is no easy way around this problem, so to speak. Because at our scale, uh, there's going to be hundreds and thousands of users who are going to want to do a video filming session with some really crazy DSLR camera or some uh, Xiaomi Mi phone that uses a different codec and then upload another part from a Sony phone which uses another codec, whatever. And it's like, we can't just do that. Like, that's not like okay for us. Um, I, I just can't imagine because like we work with codecs and containers and it's a pain in the ass to work with even with like professional software, like even if you're inside the Adobe suite and a DaVinci Resolve and all these other codecs, even with FFmpeg, all of these tools are still a pain in the ass to work with and they're professional tools that are offline on a device that you install and pay for. And I can't even imagine trying to do that not only for a progressive web app that's now dependent on and has to work on any device, but also it has to somehow be compatible with all these different codecs and it has to somehow do it in the private and secure way with the so I can't even imagine um, this is like the stuff I work with and it it's like it I, I rip my hair out with just like these basic issues um, the whole video container like we could probably make a whole podcast exactly like that's um, a that's a topic it's, of its own like that that's the thing I was like I'm not even gonna get into the details <laughs> of the craziness of that but uh, it's not just as simple as an MP4 file guys trust me uh, if it was, I promise you, we would be the first to ship that and you would be uploading your videos and we would be making a lot more money from you storing videos. Like everybody would be happy, trust me. That's not as simple as that. Um, and with documents, um, man, there's a lot there too. But for example, uh, a lot of users migrated from Evernote to Crypti around the time when we launched four or five years ago. 
And what we realized, uh, we built uh, and reverse engineered a uh, Evernote importer. So essentially it unpacks your Evernote note files or your Evernote uh, notebooks and then converts them into crypto documents so that you can easily uh, drag and drop your Evernote files and move the crypto. Um, what we realized in the process is that, and this is the craziest thing, I still can't believe that they did this, but this is a thing with apparently a lot of software, we're now seeing this, is that, uh, when you copy-paste an image from the internet into Evernote, they actually don't paste the image itself. They don't paste the file of the image itself. They actually paste the HTML code from the website into your note. And what that means is they're actually linking to that image. And every single time you open that note, they're loading that image from that third-party service, wherever you copy-pasted that image from. So let's say you went on LinkedIn, and let's say you work in HR, right? You, just select it all, copy-paste someone's LinkedIn profile or bio photo into your Evernote. Every time you open that Evernote document or Evernote note, uh, that photo is actually still loaded from LinkedIn.com every single fucking time. And it gets crazier. What if that image isn't loaded from uh, HTTPS, but what if it's just, you know, uh, from a non-secure link or something like that? Then what happens? Like, they still go ahead and do that. What if that website has a pixel tracker? They still go ahead and do that. What if that website has some JavaScript or whatever? They try to strip some of it, but not all of it. We've seen cases where it still sticks in the note. So we're like, okay, like we can't just easily let people import their Evernote notes now. So now everyone thinks like, oh, okay, like crypty sucks because my Evernote notes don't just import. It's not like cross-compatible or not. it's not easy to migrate. Well, if it was, your privacy would be fucked because we would have to allow all these things to work as it is. So now what we do is every time there's a third-party linked image or anything like that that we detect, even if you copy-paste an image from a website to inside Crypty, we actually show a big yellow banner that says like, hi, like this image is actually loaded from a third-party resource. Do you, are you sure you want to load this into your document? Because it could contain malicious shit in it. We don't know what the fuck it is. We don't know where it's loaded. So we don't load it until you approve us to load. Um, so we try to get ahead of these types of things with documents. Um, and I think like th that's a really weird security angle of this and technically a really weird privacy angle of this. But Things like this, man. Like, I mean, I can go on and on. This, this is like the type of shit that I deal with every day. So we have like a major list of, I don't know, a hundred items like this that we have to deal with daily. So if there is, um, I don't know, if there is like a day where you're like, John, let's have like this 10 hour long fireside chat about all the shit that you guys are trying to get ahead of. Let's do that. Cause that, that's the type of stuff that we're basically dealing with nowadays. But um, yeah, so these are the types of things. The same goes for Google Docs, like, right? like. If you're a company building another soft piece of software that's someday going to compete with one of the million different things that Google does, is it okay that you use Google Docs to, to build that new company or project? Or like we are seeing now in Ukraine, for example, that um, they're relying on these third-party services to be able to gather around information, like Google Docs is one of them. Um, it, it's, it's, I don't know if this is the best way to go, right? Like I think, uh, third-party company who can see your data in very critical moments like this perhaps isn't the best way to go about um, storing our most precious notes and documents. Like, uh, I think a lot of people who journal, a lot of people who take notes, a lot of people who write these documents, uh, like the feedback we're getting from our users is that they're happy because they want to be able to write about their uh, journey to recover from uh, um, mental health issue, for example, right? They don't want these types of things to be public on Google servers, or they don't want these to sit somewhere in um, Evernote servers. So it's stuff like this. It's, it's bad if they are hacked and it gets out. It's bad if they're not hacked and the company takes a look at it. It's, another, it's, it's worse if a nation state is uh, trying to look at these things. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a whole host of problems. So I think I'm happy that we're able to offer a home and um, even if it's a basic one, even if it's not fully featured yet and we're still working on it, that, that sort of provides a safe space for everyone to, to have on the internet. Very cool. And a question that came up as, as you were talking is, I'm going to try to say this in the most um, kind way possible. So it sounds like a lot of your, not a lot, but at least a, a minority of your users 
raise concerns about things that are just kind of like part of the game of choosing a private and secure alternative to um, a lot of these services. So do you feel like you have users who like go into Crypti not really understanding what it is? Like who is Crypti really for? A lot. Um, and like, man, I'm so glad you asked this. So this is, <laughs> this is why we haven't been able to sleep for the past six months, to say the least. Um, so I'll give you a little background, and I think this is going to make so much sense once you hear the full story of what's going on. We want Crypti to be for everyone. I want Crypti to work even for your grandma and grandpa who just want to store family photos. And you know what? They don't know how to self-host. <laughs> They're not going to understand the, the word backhand. They're not going to understand how to set up a Linux firewall, or they're not going to understand how to configure a good DNS server so that like, they're not leaking shit there or whatever. Um, they're not going to understand how to do OS updates. We want this to be for everyone, just like the way you can use Google Photos or whatever, or Google Docs or whatnot. We want this to be for quite literally everyone to use. And that means we need to make some careful considerations and sacrifices here and there to make this service as usable as possible and allocate our resources to make this service as usable as possible for everyone. But that also means uh, our biggest cost and our biggest burden right now is customer support because most of our users come to Crypti not knowing what Crypti is. They just want a solution where they can store their photos. And um, uh, the best way to put Crypti, I think, like how I see Crypti is this. And I think this is going to be super useful. If someone's ever going to make a meme or a clip out of this video or post it on Reddit, please let this be this part. <laughs> I, I think... This will be super useful if you do that. Thank you. Um, so think about it this way, right? Uh, let's say you're an avid coffee drinker, okay? You like to drink coffee four times a day and you have a favorite coffee mug. You probably wouldn't keep your coffee mug in your safe box at home. You would probably keep it in your kitchen cabinet because it would be impractical if you have to punch the code in four times a day, take your coffee mug out, drink coffee, put it back. And you, you would probably want to just keep it in the kitchen cabinet for practicality reasons. And similarly, you probably wouldn't want to keep your passport or your home ownership documents in your kitchen cabinet right next to your coffee mug. You also wouldn't keep your, I don't know, private photos next to your coffee mugs in the kitchen cabinets because it wouldn't be safe or private. Like what if a friend's staying over, they wake up in the morning and make a cup of coffee for themselves. Are they going to look at your awkward private pictures? Like, no, you probably want to keep it in your safe box. And I think Crippy is the equivalent of that safe box built for the internet, okay? Not everything is going to be practical. It's, 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 it's impossible. It's going to take a while for you to open and punch your encryption key, and that's expected. If you want certain levels of privacy and certain levels of uh, you know, safety and security and that peace of mind, you're going to have to make those sacrifices. And oddly enough, I don't see, and I see this problem even with privacy startups nowadays. There's a lot of these new privacy software that are coming out. You know, maybe like, it's okay to, to pull the brakes, take a moment. You don't have to worry about where to put that next social feature, where to put that next share button or whatever. You know, like your safe box doesn't have a share button on it. It's just to keep shit safe. It doesn't matter. Like your kitchen cabinet's technically ready for sharing. Your friends can go pick up a cup of coffee there. But um, so I see Crypti as the safe box equivalent on the internet. And I think a lot of the people who come to Crypti expect it to be just a kitchen cabinet. Uh, that has a padlock on it or something like it's not like better to think about it like a safe box that is mathematically impossible to crack with strong encryption that's it and i think as long as you can keep this in mind then it will become a lot more clear that oh okay some things are not going to be practical you're probably not going to upload every single screenshot and awkward double chin selfie to your you know uh, safe box. So you're probably not going to print those out and put it in your safe box, but maybe you're just going to put the most uh, precious and most reliable and most uh, special or private things into your safe box. And, you know, that's that's uh, what Crypti is for. And I think it's great. if uh, The way I see it is if you only need to store, I don't know, five gigabytes of stuff, by all means, just do that. Maybe you don't need to store two terabytes of private stuff. That's okay, too. But um, I hope this makes sense. Um, that's basically how I see it. And I think a lot of the people who come to Crypti, like you mentioned, are everyday users. They don't really know what they're coming for. They just want another alternative service. And um, the biggest problem that we experienced because of that is um, uh, last summer, I think it was June, Google said that they are going to change Google Photos' pricing. 
And uh, lo and behold, a lot of people uh, suddenly started uh, flocking to Crypti. And then a month later, Apple said that they're going to do iCloud uh, photo scanning or something like that. And then a lot of people started flocking Crypti. So what happened is in June, I believe, this is when Google announced it, we had 110% growth of our user base in one month. Then next month, uh, Apple said iCloud scanning is going to happen. We had 130% growth. And then the next month and the next month, and it was like, yeah, thankfully it slowed down. But you know what? Like our help desk customers, but we couldn't get sleep. Like we physically couldn't answer messages fast enough. Like I was working, our help desk was working, our accountants were helping, our fucking lawyers were sitting down answering customer support. We physically couldn't answer questions fast enough. We were still getting more backlog. Uh, you know, as engineers, we we know how to make servers scale, but we just don't know how to make human resources scale. I realized, okay, like how quickly can you hire someone to customer support, train them? But that also means you can't answer uh, some of the, the questions. It, it was just a crazy fucking time. And so uh, it's for everyone. We want it to be for everyone and it will forever be for everyone. Uh, if you're a lawyer who wants to keep their client's data safe, if you're a therapist, you want to take private notes, or I don't know, if you're a reporter, if you're a victim or a survivor of abuse, like this is for you. Um, but also if you just want to avoid big tech, it's for you. Or if you're just, you know, a bigger fan of having a safe space for yourself where you don't have to think about that safety, it's for you. It's safe. And that's sort of the idea. And hopefully <laughs> we'll be able to do a better job at educating our users. Like we're trying our best. Like I, if, if you wrote to our customer support and haven't heard from us guys, I'm sorry. I promise we're doing our best. We're going to get back as soon as possible. But um, yeah, education is the big, big problem. And I, like, I remember seeing your post recently and I wrote to you about it too, is that there's a lot of uh, FUD going on, um, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And people are spreading a lot of misinformation on Reddit and Twitter and wherever have you. Everyone has an opinion about which service they should use and whatnot. You know what? It doesn't matter. Like, you use what's best for you. Whatever is your threat model, you do that. And it's important that these tools are out there. It's important that... There's these companies, uh, you know, building these tools and we're all friends. Like, you know, we're all fighting on the same side. Like, like as privacy companies, even if we're offering the same product, we're fighting on the same side here. Uh, basically, the mission is the same. Um, so I think the more us privacy companies educate people and the more people educate uh, lesser tech savvy uh, individuals, the easier it's going to become. But right now, one of our biggest costs is education and um, there is no easy solution to this. Very cool. Well, thank you for the answer. That was very extensive. They're very comprehensive. And I, and I, by the way, shut me up if I talk too much. <laughs> oh, like, no, if no. I start, it's, I'll go all the way. So It's fine. Yeah. I, think, I think the context there is very important for people because it's a common problem. I think people... Well, honestly, it's a, it's a problem going both ways. So on one hand... People sometimes enter... They, they'll, they'll be like, oh, Briar, fantastic. Let's go and use this. And they'll go in expecting it to be a WhatsApp. And then when it's not, there's this whole like, yeah, like, moment where they just freeze up. What do you mean? I think they do a photo support now, or at least it's in beta. But it's like, what do you mean I can't send photos to people? At least yeah. that's what the story was a year ago. Um, and there's just basic things like that. And um, I don't think Crypty's as an extreme of an example, but I think that there's just certain limitations when you pick the more secure solution, as there almost always is, right? Like you mentioned, there's convenience and security, and they're typically on opposite ends of the spectrum. Sorry if I hit the mic. Um, and I think the other layer of it, too, is just setting expectations accordingly. And I think it's kind of an unfair thing to ask people to do, but it's something we just have to do. Like, I think naturally speaking, we set expectations for everything. If you are going to a movie and IMDb ratings a nine, you're going to have very different expectations for that movie than if it's a six. And so I think like it's very important to have expectations set appropriately. And for the record, I think you're going to like this. I went into Crypti not expecting a great experience, and I was thoroughly impressed. Um, for me, it was extremely convenient. I do stay signed in in my session, which makes it more convenient than if I was to sign out and sign in every time. Um, but inside of my browser, in my web apps, it's always signed in. And it is, to me, almost no less convenient than if I was to use something like Google Docs to store my notes. So um, as someone... honored and really happy to hear this. <laughs> yeah. So um, at least for my end, I don't know if I didn't set expectations high or not, but like for me, it works incredibly well. And um, I really have so few complaints. And actually, one of the things I really wanted to highlight was how awesome the user interface is. 
um, because I'm a big fan of minimalist interfaces. I'm a big fan of things just giving you what you need to do. Um, it's one of the reasons why I wish there was an auto system theme, but like you said, it's not really easy or possible to do in the current scheme of things, but like everything just works. I'm, Which is I'm not really happy to hear this. Yeah. I'm a big minimalist guy too. Like I think I only own black and white things and like physically all my outfits are black and white. You won't be able to find anything colorful. And, uh, you know, in my apartment's that way. But, you know, it, it's, it's like for me, it was very important that, that the design of Crypty is something that you don't fight against. It's just there and you use it and it's like intuitive and it's quick. And I think the other element that we, we keep hearing from our users is that some users complain that it's slow and some users say it's incredibly fast. And so we were like, what's the difference? Like, why is it fast for some people? And why is the perception that it's slow for some people? And so we finally understood what the problem is. And I think uh, if you come from a note-taking app perspective and you want to use Crypti for taking notes, and if you're used to something like Evernote, Evernote is working offline, so it's it's quite fast, and it's not doing encryption, decryption, downloads, etc. So people have the expectation that it will be just as instantaneous. But if you come from the perspective of using Docs, which is why we call this Crypti Docs, uh, then think about how long it actually takes when you open a new tab to open a Google Doc. Like it actually takes three to four seconds when you when you try to create a new document or open a new document for their tools and everything to load. And try the same on Crypti, and you'll understand how much faster it actually is than Google Docs in comparison, despite the fact that we do a lot more. So it's setting expectations, like you said, and I think um, like we could definitely do a lot better, and I think we, we need to do a lot better at educating our users as well and uh, the general public. Um, but I'm so happy to hear that. This makes me really happy. Our countless hours optimizing is not wasted. I actually had a quick question, too, about the whole speed thing. I don't know if this is a configuration problem on my end. Crypti felt noticeably slower on Firefox for me. That is correct. So uh, this is a browser-specific uh, thing. And, oh, man, like, I, I, this is, like, the hottest take. <laughs> so, like, I was chatting with uh, David from Safing recently, and, like, like we were talking, and we... we <laughs> They was like, like, do say that, and it's going to be the hottest take of the hottest takes. And I was like, I'm so ready for this. Um, so I use Google Chrome, judge me. And there are a few reasons why I think this is important, but it has to do with my specific threat model, and I have to have to do this because of my threat model. And there are a few things related to Firefox that are not as great with Firefox that we've been asking Mozilla to take action. We've been asking Mozilla to, to fix these things, but they haven't. And also, I would like to underline, uh, some of the folks who work at Mozilla on their services, on their browsers, like they're my classmates from university. <laughs> it's not like I have a thing against these guys. Like, you know, I have an utmost level of respect to these people. Um, and same goes for Google and same goes for Apple. Like we, we work very closely with these folks and we're actually closely in touch with Mozilla. Some of the times when they're testing their PWA features, they literally test it with Crypti. So we're in a very privileged and lucky position in the, in the, the PWA game right now. But uh, one of the biggest shortcomings to ad address your question directly of Mozilla and specifically Firefox is that... Um, so on Chrome, on, in Safari, etc., we can actually do uh, parallel slash multi-threaded encryption decryption. In Firefox, we actually can't do that. It, things, things get more difficult, so to speak. Uh, we, when we can, what we do is we even use service workers. We launch as many service workers as we possibly can, maybe even eight or 16, depending on how many cores your device has, and we can multi-thread. Um, but with Firefox, uh, it's, it's just significantly more difficult. Their implementation, their uh, the inner workings of the browser, it's simply significantly slower, to say the least. And um, that's the best way I can put this without getting into too technical detail and boring everyone with it. And there's all sorts of other things like uh, serialization, deserialization, uh, and like when you're loading large documents uh, or large photos, like they need to, I'll give you a good example, right? So normally if you click and download a file on any website, what you do is you point your browser to a URL, let's say google.com slash file.zip, right? Uh, and your browser downloads it because it knows to go to that URL and get that file. But on Crypti, you can't do that. Or if, if you want to do this with an image and you want to put an image on a website and display it in HTML, what do you do is you put the link of the image, let's say something slash 
uh, file.jpg, for example, your browser displays it for you. But we can't do that because there are no unencrypted files on our server. So all the files need to be first downloaded into your browser's memory, decrypted, converted to base64 or uh, blobs or whatnot, and then put into your browser's DOM, and that's how you get to see it. So the performance of Crypty heavily depends on how quickly your browser can do this de uh, download, decrypt in memory, put it into DOM. And if, there, if any one of these steps are slower, then Crypty is going to feel slower because we, we can't use the typical methods in which you use for uh, your browser to just download or display files, basically. So a lot of these things, a lot of the norms we're used to from the web are simply, they simply don't apply. Another example is uh, when you're uploading files or when you're downloading files, and especially when you're downloading multiple files, uh, we have to do our own memory management because browsers are simply not that good at not knowing how large of a file you're going to stream download or stream decrypt and blow up the memory while you do that. So we kind of have to do, I mean, we're doing a shitty job at it, by the way, don't get me wrong, but we have to do our own memory management as best as we can to make sure that your device is not slow. So I'll take some credit on, like, we definitely can work and make things better, but a lot of it has to do with uh, uh, Firefox and how its implementations work. And as for my hot take and why I use Google Chrome, uh, judge me, people, judge me, uh, is it has to do with the fact that, so, okay, look, two years ago, Mozilla laid off, what, 250 people or more, and in the process of doing that, they've actually laid off their entire incident response and threat response team. And when you're using a browser, it's really important that you're also safe from all the garbage and all that dumpster fire of uh, dangerous area that is called the internet, that you, you don't just get hacked by visiting a website or from a fucking ad. And if you use a Chromium variant, or if you use any other Chromium browser, for example, and they get their Chromium updates, I don't know, a week or two later, that's bad for me. Because I, as a privacy software and the cybersecurity, I guess, company founder, cannot take that risk of waiting two weeks for a browser to get updates. It's just too dangerous for me because any zero day can uh, basically infiltrate my device. And not only my data would be at risk, but also your data would be at potential risk. So uh, for that reason, I have to use Google Chrome because that happens to be just the fastest Chrome, one of the fastest Chromium releases that goes out. We can't easily rely on open source browsers because like, what if that person has something else to do over the weekend and their side project, pet project, like pet browser, you know, it's just they can't update it for a week or a month. Uh, then, then it's too risky. So um, I don't like it. I don't like that I have to do this, and, but I, I still do this, and I still think, depending on your threat model, if you're more worried about um, security, not privacy, I'm underlining security, Chrome might, depending on your threat model, be a better option, mainly because it gets updates faster, um, and you, you're covered a little faster. Like, look at Safari. They haven't updated in, like, six months or something. They had these issues with IndexedDB leaking people's <laughs> files from different places and it affected us. Like we have to build workarounds to make sure our users' data is not exposed because of Safari's index DB problems or something like this. So, I mean, I have immense amounts of respect to these engineers who work on these browsers. I think this happens because um, WebKit team is under-resourced and underfunded, or this happens because the Mozilla folks are under-resourced and underfunded. But uh, for our specific use case, I think it's important to acknowledge what makes some browsers better and some browsers not great for uh, what we do, so. Yeah, and I really, really wanna highlight everything that John just said, cause he's a perfect, and I don't know why some of you are even subscribed to our channel who don't understand the things that we constantly say, which is it's all about threat modeling. Something that we consistently say is there is almost always a use case for every piece of software and hardware out there, depending on what you're looking for. And John is a perfect example. He is outlining right now why Google Chrome actually works for him. He's giving logical reasons for doing so, and they're all very legitimate reasons. I know some of you already, you might have already left a comment right now saying, oh, I can't believe that someone <laughs> I, I who makes- I look forward to your hot takes on this yeah. hot, hot stance that I have. <laughs> I will embrace it. Thanks, guys. It's, it's annoying because it shouldn't be a hot take because you're right. In a lot of ways, Chromium is more secure than Firefox. Um, and so if your priority is security, Chrome also gets the fastest updates. And if your goal is to have the most secure environment possible so that you're developing software that you can ensure is secure, then that's perfect. And for all we know, 
and you don't have to comment on this, John might have some personal devices where he might not want to use Google Chrome because in those areas of his life, he might want more privacy or he might, he want, might want more transparency from what he's doing. Again, people, threat modeling, Chromebooks have a use case, Chrome has a use case, Firefox has a use case. Just because John doesn't use Firefox doesn't mean he doesn't recommend some of you use Firefox either. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, do do what fits your threat model, folks. Like, and uh, like you mentioned, like I, I am in this really strange position where like what I use is incredibly important, not just for me, but for all of you who use Crypty. So that means I have to be in a position where I have to take some of those decisions for not just myself, but also for our users, also for the employees of our company and their uh, family even. Like, you know, because if someone else uses something else that's not safe, that could be a proxy problem for us. And, you know, I, I think it's it's important. Like, and I, so funny thing is I don't just use iOS just so that I can make sure that Crypty runs smoothly on Android and iOS and on other devices. I have a Linux computer, I have a Windows computer, I have a Mac, I have an iOS, I have an Android, I have an iPad, I have a Chromebook, whatever, Like, and I keep swapping between devices as frequently as possible. And uh, friends in my life think that I am this crazy tech guy who just likes to fidget with gadgets, but I'm like, you know what? No, I just have to make sure that I test Crypty and it, it works as efficiently and amazingly and fast as possible on these devices. And you know, it's awkward, it's difficult for me. I don't like that, that it's my threat model. But it's good. And also, you know what? It makes me a harder to, to target person because you don't know which device I'm using at what given point. So it's going to be one of those things where you're going to have to figure out um, how to target if you want to target because it's a, always a moving target. Um, but yeah, this isn't about me. Like This is about what you should do that fits your threat model and you should follow that. Um, one thing that sticks out for me that we get a lot that I think like we, we briefly talked about this and I think it's really important that, that I mention um, like when we said it's when we said cryptos for everyone uh, if this is too long feel free to cut this by the way but uh, uh, what we, re we keep hearing is that everyone's asking us like why can't you open your backend why can't you open source your backend why can't you open source your backend and we're like guys our front end is fully open source so that you don't have to worry about whether or not if our backend is working correctly. As long as things are encrypted correctly in our front end, you, which you can verify and check. And I would argue that browsers are great for that and better than native apps for that because you can right-click inspect and check how the code actually is working, something which you can't do in native apps unless you know how to decompile, which 0.0% of the people can maybe do. Um, we we want to make sure that our front end is uh, open source, top class, open source, in every way commented as best as possible so that you don't have to worry about how backend works. Secondly, you know what? There is no trust benefit of open sourcing our backend because you can't verify that's actually the code that's running on our backend. Even if we open source it, you have no way of knowing if it's actually that backend that we run in the back. And more importantly, uh, companies like us, it, it exposes our, and I'm talking also, uh, we had a chat with Andy about a month ago, they have the same issue with ProtonMail, is that they, they keep getting the same question, is that open sourcing our backend exposes our abuse prevention systems. Like companies like us, like ProtonMail, etc., we get metric tons of fucking abuse. So I'll give you one example from Crypty. People create thousands of accounts just so they can join those free 100 megabytes to create themselves more free storage. So they basically create these like, you know, thousands of fucking users. Someone created a script that does that automatically. I'm like, great. Like imagine if we open sourced our backend, which controls the abuse floodgates, what would happen? Like we're still a smaller company, guys. Like we can't easily fend off a lot of storage abuse or similarly payment abuse like there's all sorts of things like payment fraud that we have to watch out for that that so that you, if you, your credit card is stolen somewhere they can't launder your card on our services and put us in a different position and you in a difficult position um so you know and crypt is for everyone we don't like think of crypty as this thing you should install on your server and self-host and should know how to self-host etc so there really isn't a good benefit of open sourcing our backend other than consume our resources for no reason so uh, it's really important that I, I wanted to highlight this because I think a lot of you in the comment sections now are going to go like, oh, great, like they say they're open source, but their backend isn't blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, because if it was, it probably wouldn't be as safe. That's why. And uh, it would be only as safe as you being able to host your servers good and you being able to configure your DNS and your firewall well, et cetera. Right now, um, this is one of those rare situations, I think, it might be beneficial and better that it is 
sort of centralized. And especially nowadays, like, you know, with governments shutting down services on a whim, uh, there are some benefits of centralization that, that is not talked about enough, I think, online, that I think this might be a fun note to, to sort, of, sort of close. Uh, like in the world of privacy and security, we, we call this um, collateral freedom. And basically, uh, Signal does this, Telegram does this, we do this at Crypti, ProtonMail does this, etc. Like they do it in the form of domain fronting, we do it in, the, in, a, in different ways uh, that basically prevents governments from being able to shut us down easily. Uh, Russian government tried shutting down Telegram. They had to pull the plug on 73% of the internet because Telegram kept swapping IP addresses on AWS and Google Cloud and they just simply couldn't shut it down. And what collateral freedom means is that if you want to shut down Telegram, if you want to shut down Signal or Crypti, that means you also have to shut down Google and Gmail and all these other critical services that are uh, going to be collaterals uh, for these nation states. So in this case, it's it's better for us to be a little centralized because then there will be a collateral freedom if they try to shut us down. Like we have censorship resistance built into Crypti. So if someone someday, a nation state decides to you know, pull the plug on Crypti, they're gonna have a very difficult time trying to shut us down. And if you're self-hosting, all they have to do is block your IP address, done. Like decentralization is good until someone just blocks the IP address. Like we've detected and we've learned and understood and studied and it's it's quite easy to see now that governments are a lot more efficient at blocking IP addresses individually and especially if they're residential IP addresses than they are at blocking uh, major server companies like major cloud providers because then there is a collateral damage that comes along the way with that. So um, some food for thought uh, like before you guys go on the, the why the backend isn't open source part. <laughs> And I'm really glad um, the whole time you were talking, my mind was just signal, 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 because this is the same stuff that people um, get, are, are tough on signal about. Signal didn't open source their code for a year. That's that. Those were the, like more or less the headlines. Some people in the comments actually said Signal is no longer open source. A lot of this came from another video um, that was also a little bit misleading with the Signal situation. It was Signal's server code that they don't even have a way of proving to you they're actually running. Yeah. The important part is, like, the whole way Signal is developed and built is that the trust is in the client on your device. Exactly. It has nothing to do with the server. They can be, they can be, have the most insecure servers. The servers can be run by the CIA for all you care. It doesn't matter. Matter. Like, as long as your client <laughs> is safe, you're good. And that's exactly the key with us, ProtonMail, Signal, etc. And, like, that's how it should be and yep the the funniest thing is we put this on our github like this explanation about why backend isn't open source is literally in the description of our github and you can tell the people who are complaining actually haven't even went there to read the front end source code because if they did they would see why we didn't want to open source our backend yet they're saying like hey why isn't your backend like open source we're like have you even read why the front like, have you read the front end one it says there why but okay like we'll answer again anyway um, but yeah, yeah, I see lots of pros and cons and I know that this video is, is going to be interesting because I know we covered like, um, some several hot takes here. Yeah. This should, is going to be, be hot oh my gosh, the comment be. section. I cannot wait to see what, what it's going to look like now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny cause they shouldn't be hot takes, right? Like everything here is about use case. I think there's a very valuable thing about Federation, which is it's very hard to shut anything down. Um, at least there's no central like list of rules, right? I think social media, there's the whole risk of like, oh, someone just gets banned on social media. What do they do? That can't really happen on, on a federated platform. So there's, there's, we're not saying there's not a use case for it, but like we're trying to outline here, there's actually positives to some things that actually aren't always considered positives in the privacy world. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the big takeaway for today. I personally think Crypti is a phenomenal service. I've been using it. Doesn't mean you should use it, but check it out. Hey, um, give it not. a try. It's free, guys. It's physically free. I don't know what any other bootstrap startup can provide. It's fucking free. Go try. If you don't like it, leave. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, if you do like it, stay. We will be here to stay. We'll be offering our services as long as you want to. So, Awesome. And I've been considering moving my photos to it. Um, I guess we'll see how that journey goes. I'm a little you're, worried. You're more to than be welcome honest. to. Uh, please <laughs> come on board. We'll be happy to have you. Yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried because I have never stored 
well, I used to back in like way back in the day um, when I used to still have Google Photos, but I haven't stored any of my photos online. I don't know, check it out. I think it's a really unique service and I love the interface and I think it's more usable than, than I thought it was going to be, at least. I don't know if I set expectations too low or anything, but I thought it was awesome. I'm really happy to hear this. <laughs> yeah, um, so to wrap things up, uh, I just want to thank you, John, for your time. Um, thank you, likewise. This, this Thanks week's... for having me and uh, listening to me ramble about stuff. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I think it's very useful. I think it gives a lot of good insight into why a lot of privacy and security projects function the way they do. Um, it gives people context as to why like people like Google and all the other companies have such a big advantage in offering a convenient service to people because it normally comes at the sacrifice of privacy and security. And I think it was kind of cool to get an inside look as to how Crypty works behind the scenes and some of the decisions um, you all thank make. You. Thank you. And it's fun um, to talk yeah. about other privacy and security things. So thank you thank very you. much. Um, before I forget, if you end up moving your photos to Crypty, if you're using a canvas blocker, this is in reference to the previous video that you uploaded, uh, because we have to generate your photos as thumbnails on the client side, if your canvas is blocked, we cannot generate thumbnails for your photos on the client side. So just a heads up, if you're using a canvas fingerprinting blocker or one of Firefox's uh, configurations that blocks your canvas, uh, we warn you, and this is because we physically wouldn't be able to do what we do if your canvas <laughs> is blocked. So. Yeah, John, when I, we put out two versions of the video, which some of you still didn't get, even though the thumbnail says V2 and the yeah, description yeah. and pin comp, you all are just interesting sometimes. So um, after the V1, uh, John reached out to me and he's like, hey, this is what happens when you block. And he left me this massive like essay of like, that's that's kind of what John does. He just sends me these essays of like these technical explanations for things, which I just find Sorry. awesome because I love getting the inside Sorry. scoop. No, I think it's cool. <laughs> I think it's really fun because I like getting like all these technical details of things and be like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, thank you, for uh, John, for everything. Thanks for um, reading through my declaration of uh, Canvas independence. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hopefully we'll have you back sometime. Likewise. So, uh, uh, pleasure's time. all mine. We have a billion other things we can talk about, so it would be amazing. Cool. Thanks, John. Thanks, guys.